14, verses 10 through 14. In the Pewback Bible, that can be found on page 56. Again, it's Exodus 14, verses 10 through 14, if you want to follow along as I read the passage. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The crossing of the Red Sea is perhaps the most important event of the Old Testament. If you don't know about the crossing of the Red Sea, you need to know about what it means that God delivered his people from slavery. As you look at Exodus 14 and what we just read a moment ago, Moses said courageously to those Israelites, in a way of speaking it this way, he said, stop whining, stop complaining, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's good advice for all of us. There are times in our lives when we are so upset and we're so concerned about things that just look ominous. They look difficult. And I believe if Moses could talk to us, he'd say the same thing. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, the way that God delivers. We serve a God who saves people. He saves the helpless. He saves those who are hopeless. He delivers people who are enslaved. And that is no more clearly seen anywhere than in Exodus 14. I like the statements at the beginning of the book of Exodus. Exodus is a book about deliverance from slavery. And in Exodus 3, verses 7 and 8, the Lord says to Moses when he's calling him back at the burning bush, he says, I've surely seen, God has eyes to see. I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard, God has ears to hear. I've heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And he knows what you're going through as well. He knows what you're suffering and what you're facing in your life. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. Did you know that that's the gospel in a nutshell? That God came down to deliver us? Jesus, the son of God came on, came into this world. He took flesh upon himself and lived and died to deliver us. When you look at Exodus 3, 7, and 8, God could just as easily be talking about you and me being lost in our sin, but he's talking about Israel, slaves in Egypt. From Exodus chapter 3, what begins is a sequence of events all orchestrated by God. In chapters 4 through 12, God performs those 10 plagues. Maybe you've heard about the 10 plagues that God visited upon Egypt 
terrible things, lice and frogs and darkness. And then finally in Exodus 12, the destruction of the firstborn. In every household of Egypt, everyone that did not put the blood of the lamb on the door, the Passover lamb on their door, the Bible says that the firstborn in all those houses was killed in one night. And so in Exodus 12, verses 33 through 39, as that first plague or that 10th plague was taking place, God had ordered the Israelites to be ready for a hasty departure. That's why they ate unleavened bread. Unleavened bread, it doesn't take long to bake. You don't have to wait for the dough to rise. There's symbolism there. The idea that we're getting out of Egypt tonight. They ate with their coats on. They ate with their staffs in their hand and their sandals on their feet because they knew this is the night God's gonna deliver us. And then in Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18, the Bible tells us that God took them on a curious route. These 600,000 men plus the women and children, some estimate there may have been 2 million people on this journey starting out. And the scripture says that God did not take them by the normal way, the way of the Philistines, lest they see war and be frightened and want to return. And so God took them on a different route out of Egypt. More about that in just a moment. And then at the end of Exodus 13, the Bible tells us that the way the Israelites knew where to go is because God always provided a pillar. There was during the day when the sun was out, a pillar of cloud. And all you had to do as an Israelite to know where to go is follow the cloud. If the cloud's moving that way, that's the way we go. If it's moving that way, that's the way we go. And then at night, these ancient people, these slaves coming out of Egypt, they had a nightlight. They had a pillar of fire. The pillar of cloud changed into a pillar of fire and it lit up. And you can just imagine for miles and miles around, people being able to, if you were out in the desert, out in the wilderness during those 40 years, being able to know exactly where the Israelite encampment was at night because you could see that pillar of fire. And all Israel had to do to know where they, where they needed to go. By the way, the Bible tells us they could travel by day or by night because of the way that God guided them. God knows how to deliver people. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 14. Turn in your Bibles there if you haven't already done so. In Exodus chapter 14, we find the account of the crossing of the Red Sea. God knows how to deliver people. He knows what he's doing. And brethren, he does not need our help. He doesn't need us to rethink his plan of salvation, his scheme for saving us from our sin. He doesn't need us to add to or to take away from anything that he's written in his word. He just needs us to obey, to trust him, to follow the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, to listen to what his word teaches. That's all he needs from us is for us to do that. And as you look at Exodus chapter 14, we're going to begin this account this evening by thinking about Israel and what God was doing in response to them. And the first thing I want us to notice is that Israel looked lost. They looked lost, but God guided them. Look, if you would, at verse 1, Exodus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahirath between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, what God is telling the Israelites to do in verses 1 and 2, he's basically putting them in a tight spot. He's putting them between a rock and a hard place. 
Move these millions of people up against the seashore and they will have no place to escape when Pharaoh and his armies come toward them. And certainly the Egyptians would have had spies or people that were kind of informing about where they were going and they would have been able to go back to Pharaoh and say, those slaves, they don't know anything about travel in the wilderness. They don't know geography. I mean, they've been slaves all their lives after all. What do they know about escape? What do they know about how how to get out of Egypt? They're heading right toward the Red Sea, Pharaoh. And God tells Moses why he's doing this. In fact, God says to Moses in verse three, look at the passage. Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, verse four. He will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So God is bringing the Israelites right up against the Red Sea because he wants the Egyptians to see and to think those Israelites don't know where they're going. And the the Egyptians are gonna pursue and God says, I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart. One more time, he's gonna come after you. For years, people have wondered about that hardening of Pharaoh's heart. If you read Exodus 4 through 12, you'll find a number of statements like that. Pharaoh hardened his heart. But what really troubles people is when it says, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. There are three ways in which God hardened Pharaoh's heart. If you like taking notes, you can just write these down. God hardened Pharaoh's heart by three devices. Number one, God presented a righteous demand to Pharaoh. You say, how did God harden Pharaoh's heart? God presented a righteous demand to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. And every time Moses said that, Pharaoh said, well, they're my people. They're slaves. They belong to me. And God said, no, they are my people. Harden Pharaoh's heart. Number two, God hardened Pharaoh's heart at first by allowing Moses to do miracles that the, uh, the magicians of Egypt could duplicate in some way. The things Moses was able to do, especially at first, like turning the water to blood, things like that, the Egyptian magicians were able to kind of duplicate that. Again, God knew what they could do. God hardened Pharaoh's heart by doing some of the miracles, some of the signs that the Egyptians could by trickery or some other way by by duplicating. The third way God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart by removing the plagues. God hardened Pharaoh's heart by removing the plagues. When the river turned to blood, all the water in Egypt turned to blood, nobody could drink anything, They they were desperate. And so God removed the plague. When the, when the land was full of flies, they, God removed the plague. And every time God took a plague away, the Bible says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And now the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. They've left and Pharaoh wakes up and yes, the firstborn are all dead in Egypt. But Pharaoh realizes in verse five that his economy is about to take a major hit because all of their labor just left. And therefore they pursue Israel. And on the screen there, I want you to notice, I've got the heart of Pharaoh listed. The heart of Pharaoh is a major concern of God of the passage in Exodus 14. Verse three, verse four, verse five, verse eight, verse 17, verse 18, over and over, the heart and the mind of Pharaoh, what Pharaoh thinks, what Pharaoh says, 
God is concerned about that. And the most amazing thing to me about this entire passage is verse 25. In Exodus 14, 25, when those Egyptian chariots were trying to get through the Red Sea themselves and their wheels got stuck, the Egyptians finally woke up and this is what they said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. God fights for these people. We can't win this battle. We've got to turn around. And that's when the Red Sea closed in and drowned those Egyptian soldiers. The Lord fights for these people. God's concerned. He wants Pharaoh to know. He wants the Egyptians to know he is the one true God. And next week, Lord willing, by the way, next Sunday night, we're going to talk about Rahab way over in Jericho, 40 years later. And you know what Rahab says in Joshua chapter two? Rahab says, we've heard of what happened at the Red Sea. We heard about your God and how he delivered you from those Egyptians. We heard about that and I believe that God can save me. Tell me what I can do, my family and I, to not be destroyed in Jericho. God did these things so that the world would know that he's God and he's a God who delivers. Israel looked lost, but God guided them. When we obey the gospel, when we do what the Bible tells us God expects, we will often look strange to the world. It just doesn't make sense the way a Christian chooses to live. From a worldly point of view, it just doesn't make sense. Remember this lesson. God took Israel to the Red Sea for a very specific purpose, to get glory over the Egyptians. Second this evening, as you think about what happens in Exodus 14, Israel panicked, but Moses exhorted them. Israel panicked, but Moses exhorted them. Look at verse 10. It's human nature. When the Israelites lifted up their eyes, the Bible says in verse 10, behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and the people feared greatly and they cried out to the Lord. The Israelites lifted up their eyes. They just didn't lift their eyes quite high enough. And they saw their enemies pursuing and what's gonna happen to us now? And so they're in just despair. They feared greatly, my translation says. The word means that they trembled, they were filled with terror. This is not just a mild sort of fear. They believed this was the end. Those Egyptians are gonna come in and they're going to destroy us. And then verse 11, they begin to complain. The scripture says, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? That's kind of a creative way of saying it, isn't it? I mean, weren't there graves back? I mean, it's, it's just, it's almost like there's poetry to it. Weren't there graves back in Egypt that were good enough for us? You've brought us out here for this. And then they say further to Moses, why have you done, or what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? And then verse 12, the, the insult of insults to Moses. Isn't this what we said to you in Egypt? Didn't we tell you, Moses, to leave us alone? Just leave us alone so we can serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's not true. Brothers and sisters and friends, it's always better to be where God is. 
in every situation, in every circumstance, no matter what things look like, it is always the right decision to be where that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire is. No, it would not have been better for them to serve the Egyptians and to stay in slavery. But those are their complaints. And Moses says some of the most courageous things in verses 13 and 14, anywhere in the Bible. In all of our list of things that we're memorizing in kids sing and maybe your own personal memory work at home, Exodus 14, 13 and 14 ought to be on our list at some point. Because listen to what he says, fear not, verse 13, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Salvation will be yours. Just stand still. Be silent. Your complaints are unbecoming people that are God's. Philippians 2.14 tells us that we ought to do as Christians everything without murmuring or complaining. Do you know that's in the New Testament? God says don't complain. Don't whine. Don't gripe. God says don't do those things because those kinds of things are not somebody who has their faith and their eyes in the right place. So God says to these people through Moses, stand still and see my salvation. Incidentally, there's a lot about Moses' leadership that's being done here. In Exodus 14, one of the things that God is doing through the Red Sea crossing is confirming that Moses is his man. You need to listen to Moses. You need to follow Moses. God speaks and deals with Moses directly. God talks to Moses. Don't rebel against Moses. Don't complain to Moses. Just listen to what he says because he speaks for God. And one of the things, leaders, elders, deacons, others, parents, one of the things a good leader does when everybody else is losing their head, a good leader thinks about the promises of God, thinks about the assurances of God's word, and by faith speaks words of encouragement and exhortation to others. Isn't that true? I want elders that aren't standing up and wringing their hands in despair just because things are not the greatest sometimes. I want elders who are willing to say to the church, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Every congregation needs elders like that. Israel panicked, but Moses exhorted them. And then third, Israel obeyed and God saved them. Verses 15 through 31, the first thing I want you to notice about salvation is that it is of God. Verse 14, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Look at verse 25. In verse 25, the Lord fights for them. In verse 30, the Lord saved Israel. God is the one who saves. He is the one who initiated this. It was God's plan. It was God's idea. Moses had tried to save Israel 40 years prior to this. Remember, back in Exodus chapter 2, he killed that Egyptian. Moses was 40 years old. He knew he was God's man, and he thought it was time, according to Acts chapter 7. But God said, not time yet. It's going to take 40 more years, Moses, before I'm ready to do this. 
Salvation is God's idea, God's timeline, God's plan. And when you look at Exodus 14, God is the one who's leading them, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. For all of you who wonder and puzzle over what is God's will for my life? And I know some of you do that. What does God want me to, does he want me to take this job or that job? Does he want me to go to the, does he want me to marry this person or that person? I'm puzzling over God's will for my life. This had to have been the easiest way to live ever. Because all you had to do was get out of your tent in the morning, pick up the manna on the ground, look up and see whether the pillar was moving. And if it was, pack up the tent and here we go. And then when the pillar stops, put your tent out and wait for manna tomorrow morning. What's God's will for my life? To get up in the morning, eat the manna, worship God, be the kind of person that God wants me to be and follow the pillar. That's the way that God dealt with his people. He led them, he instructs them. He's telling them, this is, this is my salvation that I'm providing for you. It's not anything you're doing. It's not like you have ingenuity, Israelites. It's not like you have great common sense that's going to lead you to the exact right places where you can win some military victory over the Egyptians. That's never gonna happen. I'm the one that's gonna do this. And I want you to be instructed by this. God protects them. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 14, the pillar of cloud that was leading them to the Red Sea it lifts up and it goes between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And think about this. It's nighttime when they cross the Red Sea and the, the, the cloud, the presence of God on one side, on Israel's side, it provides light so that they can see where they're going. And on the Egyptian side, it provides darkness and the Egyptians don't know where to go to find the Israelites. And so the two groups, the Bible says, don't even come close to one another. God fights for them. Verse 14, verse 25, God delivers them and God destroys their enemies. All of these things in Exodus 14, God does. We need to understand salvation is something that God does. What do you mean by that, John? Do you mean that there's no part I have in salvation? Salvation is conditional, but saving us from our sin is something that God does. God initiated our salvation by sending Jesus. Jesus did the work on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. And when we are baptized, all we're doing is crossing through the Red Sea. God opened that sea. He opened that way of salvation for us. And when we're baptized, all we're doing is saying, I believe God's made a way for me. I'm going to cross through. But get it in your mind, get it in your heart, get it in your head. Salvation is of the Lord. It always has been. It's his idea. It's his power. He's the one that saves. Not only is salvation of God, but salvation, as we've said, is conditional. Look at verse 21. In Exodus 14, 21, Moses stretched out his hand because God had told him to over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Israelites had a choice. When Moses stretched out his hand and the sea opened, do you want to be saved? Do you want to escape from your pursuers? Do you want to escape Egypt? They had a choice. You and I have a choice as well. Do you want the salvation that Jesus offers? It's conditional. And salvation is complete. Look at verse 30. 
Exodus 14, verse 30. The scripture says that the Egyptians tried to pursue and their chariot wheels got stuck. And the Bible says that that was the moment when they realized the Lord is fighting for these people. And this, they couldn't have figured that out before, you know, when the, when the uh, firstborn were dying or when the darkness was upon them. But no, the, the Egyptians kept on pursuing, kept on pursuing. And finally, their enemies were drowned. And listen to verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. It's a graphic detail in verse 30. They turned around and they looked at the Red Sea behind them and they saw the bodies of their enemies washing up on the seashore. And this meant something to the Israelites. Those drowned bodies were significant because they represented the old way of life and slavery is gone forever. We're not going back to that life anymore. It helps us to understand what baptism means. When we think about what happened at the Red Sea, in fact, in fact, in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that Israel was baptized into Moses. Do you know it says that? 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. They were baptized into Moses. And Paul even puts it this way. They went between the walls of water and the cloud was over them. And so they were immersed. That's what Paul's saying. And when they came out of the Red Sea, the old way of life is behind them and they're never going back. When you were baptized, that was what was supposed to happen to you. The old way of life, the old slavery. And, and don't, don't think that we're not sometimes like Israel where we look back at our former life and we say sometimes longingly, you know, it really was better back there before I became a Christian. I really did have a good time doing this or this or this. Sometimes we're a lot like the Israelites as well. But God started instructing those people at the Red Sea and that instruction just continued for centuries even until today, God's still trying to instruct his people in his ways. That old way of life is gone when we're baptized. God is a multitasker. I mean that as respectfully as I possibly can, but it's amazing all of the things that God does at the Red Sea. What does God do at the Red Sea? He saves his people. That's what the Bible tells us. He redeems his people. That is, he purchases them for himself. They belong to God now. They don't belong to Pharaoh. They belong to God. He has redeemed them. God judges Egypt for their rebellion, their uh, hostility, their pride. God judges them for those things. God trains Israel. It's been well said that it took just a short time for God to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took 40 years, took more than that, it took centuries for God to get Egypt out of Israel. It won't be long before the Israelites will be building that golden calf and worshiping it. It won't be long before the Israelites will be complaining again to Moses about various things. And God patiently and lovingly works with his people, sometimes judges and rebukes his people, is gracious and merciful to his people because he's training them all the way. And that's what our lives really are as well. Our lives are a training ground in holiness, in Christ-likeness. That's what God's trying to do with you and me. God confirms Moses as a leader at the Red Sea. 
He confirms, this is my man. Listen to him. And God instructs future generations, even us. God knows how to do so many things at once. And when you read Exodus 14 and you think about the gravity of what just took place, Exodus 15, that's your homework, by the way. Read Exodus 15, the song of Moses. Exodus 15 is natural. You know what the book of Exodus does? The book of Exodus tells you the facts about the deliverance from Egypt, about the Red Sea crossing in Exodus 14. And then the very next chapter is just a song of praise. In our songbooks, we sometimes sing about singing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by because you realize the greatness of what God has done. What our hearts ought to do is praise and exalt the God of heaven. And that's exactly what Exodus 15 is. God is a God who saves, a God who delivers. And whatever you're going through and wherever you are in life right now, I want you to hear me. God wants to deliver you. God can heal broken hearts, but he needs all the pieces. You got to give everything to him. You can't leave anything back in Egypt. I'm going to come back and build a summer home here. You can't do that. You want to be saved. You want to be God's. You got to leave Egypt behind. You got to be baptized. And you got to say, I'm going to live a new way of life. I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to know him. And I'm going to follow that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire for the rest of my days. I'm gonna listen to what the word says. He's a God who saves and he'll save you. If we can help you to obey the gospel tonight or if we can help you by praying for you, whatever your need is, won't you make your way down the aisle while we stand and while we sing.